And then it takes the pressure off of them to achieve this giant thing. Because one of the mistakes that we make and one of the ways that we, we trap ourselves as athletes is we set our sights on this thing that is so big. And it's not that it's impossible, it's just that there's so much that has to happen first. From Foundation's Mental Performance, it's The Mental Golf Show, a show all about golf and what role the mind plays in helping you play better. I'm Josh Nichols, and on today's show, I talk with a mental performance coach about the coach-athlete relationship and how a coach should let the athlete define success, not the other way around. My name is Aaron Goldman. I am a mental performance coach. I have a master's in a field called applied human development from Boston University. Um, it's a field that sort of incorporates ideas from sociology, psychology, coaching, neuroscience, anthropology. It's, uh, it's pretty wide ranging. And uh, my focus was in positive youth development uh, particularly through physical activity and sport and sports psychology. Uh, and my, so my practical internship work, I guess you could say, while I was uh, at BU involved working with uh, kids in a Title I high school, doing youth development work. Uh, and I also had the opportunity to work with some Division I athletes, sort of as a more performance-focused uh, work experience. I loved both of them. Um, the work that I do now incorporates elements from both, but I would say that my priority is very much in the positive youth development world. Um, I want, I guess if I had a goal for my work, it would be to have kids, young athletes walk away from our work together, learning how to love their sport and stay connected to that love uh, and the ability to access the joy and growth potential in what they're doing. And performance for me kind of follows from that. Uh, happy athletes tend to perform at a higher level. And so I try to help kids get there through self-awareness, through mindfulness, through um, self-reflection, conversation, um, and really connecting with the why of what they do, uh, because I feel like that's the, that's the foundation. And if we can stay connected to our why, then the what and the how sort of, uh, come more easily. Hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's a great way to put it is like, let's, let's focus on the foundational things first and then everything else kind of naturally flows from that um that i i love that perspective and that the way of coming at it like that rather than um kind of end end game first and then work your way back to oh wait we should probably find out how to help you enjoy this now that you're successful so um that that is a great way to to go at it so and I'd, I'd love to kind of get into the details of, you know, what you're doing on a, a daily, weekly, monthly basis with athletes and, and youth development, that kind of stuff. I'd love to get back to that. But what kind of, um, you know, you said you've, um, you've played, I, I was reading up on you and you've, you've played athletics, um, but what kind of path led you to where you are now as far as, uh, played and tried and like myself, I tried to play professionally and decided not to. So went this route. So what was your kind of story in that regard? Uh, well, you know, my sport journey started uh, when I was a really small child um, in Boston, which is where I actually was born, although I grew up in Oregon. Um, 
my dad and a couple of his friends had season tickets to the Celtics that they shared hmm. uh, in the eighties when the Celtics were, uh, you know, the uh-huh. Celtics, yeah. capital C, capital C. <laughs> right. um, and so my earliest sport memories involved going to the garden, the old garden with my dad. And, you know, back in those days, there was a lot less security, right? People were sort of less afraid and there were less regulations. So we could just walk around during shoot around. So my dad would take me down and we'd walk around behind press row right on the sideline. And I just remember, you know, as a five-year-old kid looking up and seeing these enormous human beings who were, you know, sort of the pinnacle of sport evolution. And, uh, so I wanted to be a basketball player, uh, sort of from that day forth. And so I've played my whole life. Um, and I just love the game. Uh, I actually played water polo in high school and college though. That was sort of the, that was sort of my, my window into higher level athletics. Um, I never had the opportunity to play college or professional basketball, but I'm, I really believe in the game and I love it. And so, mm-hmm that's sort of the lens through which I started to see sports. And in the meantime, I have a background in coaching. So I grew up in a little town in Oregon and we have a ski mountain 30 minutes away. So Hmm. I grew up coaching ski racing, I should say, started in my twenties. And uh, so that sort of gave me the first window into the culture of youth sport and the mental process of young athletes. Um, and that's kind of what got me interested in this field initially. Uh, and then it was kind of a roundabout journey doing other things for work, um, finishing my undergrad degree. And I ended up coaching high school water polo for a few years. And it got to the point where I felt like I was lacking some of the tools necessary to put my athletes in a position to succeed. Hmm. I ran into some situations where I just was kind of at a loss and, um, you know, in coaching compassion and kindness and enthusiasm and knowledge of the game will get you pretty far. Uh, but there's a a way of understanding the minds and the emotional processes of young athletes that I just didn't have. And so that's what kind of led me back to school and Boston university turned out to be the perfect place to, to get that knowledge. And so now what I do is I work with athletes and I work with coaches and I try to help coaches have some of the knowledge that I lacked in terms of helping athletes thrive. Right. So that, um, that's, that speaks directly to me because I, I am, I sound like you before you went back to school. I, um, I'm in that position where, I've got all of this anecdotal experience and, you know, I can, I know exactly how these golfers are feeling right now and I can tell them this is what worked for me and this is what tends to work for other golfers, but I don't, I, I know nothing of the, you know, scientific, like you're saying how the mind works, how emotions really work. Um, and yeah, that's that's very interesting. And you're right. You you can go. You can help people. Like I don't. Um, I I do believe you can help people. And I'm sure you were helping people before you went back to school. But there is a there is a ceiling, and there's there's so much information there that is so valuable that can help. Um, and that's probably I would think the next level in coaching is okay, now that we, we kind of know how to be a positive, enthusiastic force in these players' lives, but, you know, there's, there needs to be more. We have all of this data and research and information and not putting it to use is a waste. Um, so that's where your, your path led you, it sounds like. Uh, so, did you see like a like a jump in your ability to help once you learned more by going back to school? Well, 
I would say the short answer is yes, but the sort of the, the process that leads to that is that I had to really look at my own sport experience through this new lens um, and look back on myself in the ways that, uh, that I experienced hmm. sports and coaching and my relationship to the sports that I played through this lens of developmental science and emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And I, <laughs> I learned some, some pretty tough lessons about how I had been in relationship to the sports that I played, mm. basketball in particular. Um, I think one of the things about loving a sport so much is that it can consume us a little bit. And we see it, uh, we see it with high level athletes who, you know, they talk about living and breathing the game, which I think can be a good thing. And I think it also has to come from a foundation of self-awareness and understanding that there's more to me, the person than just what I do. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that level of self-awareness in coaching is actually lacking a little bit. And so, you know, speaking to your question about my ability to help athletes changing. I think it did because I became more aware of what my experience was like and the things that I wish I had learned mm. and the ways that I wish I had been supported and the ways that I wish I had had a little more compassion for myself when I was playing. Mm. Um, and I think that level of understanding combined with, you know, some of the, the sort of nitty gritty scientific knowledge uh, and the experience that I had combined to sort of um, make me more than the sum of my parts, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, sure. And so by the sounds of it, when you were an athlete, you did you like not think about the mental side at all? And you were just kind of going with your gut on a daily basis of this is what good, good athletes do? Yeah. I mean, I, it never really occurred to me to really look inside with any kind of a critical eye. Um, you know, we, we do things and I'm, I never played golf, but I imagine golf works this way as well, right? We study the people that we want to emulate. So we watch tape and we watch YouTube videos and we hit rewind a hundred times trying to figure out how they do what they do. Um, and I would just was one of those people that was always in the gym. Um, and I, I paid a lot of attention to the physical side of it and which is important. I worked out a lot and I trained and I, I ran, which was something that I, I never would have said that I would do by choice before I got serious about playing sports. And, um, but I didn't really, it never occurred to me to examine the mental side and the emotional side. Uh, and it, it hurt me quite frankly. Uh, it hurt my game. It sort of put a cap on how good I could be. Um, and it, it sort of limited my choices in terms of what I could do with what I was learning through mm -hmm. playing sports. Right. Um, yeah, that, that is a huge inflection point of when, when a player kind of transitions or if a player even gets to transition from, um, from not, not even caring about the psychological mental side of it. And then all of a sudden being exposed to this, this is a super important and maybe more important part that I have never even neglected or never even, um, you know, considered. And now all of a sudden it's, it's part of my, um, kind of mental vocabulary. And I was, I was fortunate to find that realization before I, before I moved on from playing competitively and, 
Um, and it sounds like you and I in different timelines from that, from those realizations, mine while I was playing yours, maybe after you were done playing it though, that's what has kind of uh, influenced our passion to pour back into players and say, you know, learn from what I learned and I can help you do it earlier and maybe a little more efficiently than I kind of floundered through um, and, and, you know, learn from my experience. And now you have the added benefit of, um, you know, higher, you know, even higher education and, and more scientific knowledge and stuff that, uh, that I haven't even come to realize. So it's, um, you're, you're, you've got all these things in your tool belt that you had to learn over time. And now it's, how can I pour back into players? And I'm assuming I'm putting words in your mouth, but I'm assuming that's where your kind of passion to pour back in comes from. Yeah, that's part of it for sure. You know, I would say about, about the, you know, the piece about gaining more knowledge Grad school was something that works for me. Like I thrive in that kind of environment. I, I like that structure and um, having tasks that I have to complete, but that's not the only way to learn about this stuff. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's nice to have letters after, <laughs> after our name, but um it's not the only way. Mm. And, and really I think what the knowledge gives me is a foundation for doing practical work. And there are lots of coaches out there that don't have the education that, that some of the people in my field have and that I have, and they're doing amazing work. Mm. Um, so I think there, there's a lot to be said for passion and intention and, the desire to do good. Mm. Um, and I think for some people that's enough because it's enough motivation to get them on the right path. And then most, most of most knowledge in this field is self-taught and experiential. And so graduate school was a path that worked for me, but the educational system isn't set up for everyone. And so there have to be other ways to get that knowledge. Um, but the foundation of wanting to give back is a really powerful motivator. Um, and yes, that I would say that is, um, that is a driver for me for sure. So, Speaking to that practical work, uh, you are currently, um, I, I forget the words you used exactly, um, but maybe a mental performance coach. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 We, we, uh, we're still, we're the, you know, the, the field is still relatively new. The first sports psychology graduate program didn't come around until the seventies. And so we're still working on the lingo. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah. I, I'm still batting around what to even call myself. Um, and, and I, yeah, I've got no ground to stand on as far as, um, you know, like expertise, but, um, yeah. So with your practical work that you're doing now is, is it simply, um, one-on-one -on -one with, uh, you know, a young athlete and like, you know, speaking to them as if, like in a therapy session, is that maybe paint a picture of what you kind of do on a daily basis? Sure. Um, so one of the things that I really love about the field of sports psychology is that a lot of it doesn't take place in an office. Yeah. Um, we meet, well, what I try to do is I try to meet with an individual athlete in a place where they are comfortable, which often is somewhere around the arena of their play. So if I'm working with a golfer, maybe we'll find a corner 
at the golf course or near the clubhouse or under a tree, somewhere to sit and talk. Um, I don't even have an office right now because so much of what we do happens in the field. And it's one of the things that I really love about it. Um, it can, sometimes it does look a little bit like counseling um, because inevitably we're getting into issues of identity and emotion and thought patterns. And so a lot of sports psychology is, is actually founded on things like cognitive behavioral therapy, where we're changing people's thought patterns in order to change their behaviors. Um, but it doesn't, it's not like they come in and lie on a couch and I sit in a mm -hmm. chair with a notebook and, you know, take notes while they tell me about their life. Mm -hmm. I do want to understand about their life, but we do it through the lens of sport and we do it in a place where it's a little more dynamic, I think, than what people picture when they think of a therapy session. Hmm. Um, there's lots of activities involved. For me, I focus a lot on mindfulness. So we do a lot of breathing exercises, breathing as, as sort of a primary emotional regulation tool. Um, so we do that and we apply it. And sometimes we'll just go and we'll you know, I, we're talking about golf a little bit today. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we'll just go and we'll go to the range and they'll just hit balls and we'll talk. Mm. Um, I find that there's a really strong connection between the mind and the body. And I'm obviously not the first person to have this idea, mm -hmm. but I believe really strongly in it. Um, and so sometimes it helps to go out and just do something while we're talking. Mm. Um, I also work with teams. And so that can look like a conversation, a discussion. Um, I try, if we're, if I'm working with a team, I try to have us be in a circle so that we're all on equal footing. I don't like being up in front of a room <laughs> of athletes doing the, doing the presentation thing. Although, you know, sometimes it's part of the work. Um, but I would much rather have us be on a level and give everyone an opportunity to contribute. I love working with teams because you get to do some of that more youth development, uh, team building stuff that is really fun and can be super creative and interesting and can incorporate lots of stuff into it. Um, and then I work with coaches and often coach education is a little more didactic, like you're giving information. Coaches want research, they want proof. They, they're, they're not just gonna take you on your word. So they wanna see that, that there's evidence that what you're talking about is legitimate. Um, so it's a little more research-based. And that being said, the conversations are often really similar because with coaches, they usually don't have the training that the athletes also don't have, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. All right? The, the self-awareness and learning about figuring out why they do what they do and what kind of person they wanna be and how they want their athletes to feel when they walk in the building. Um, it's stuff that a lot of coaches never considered. It's stuff that I never considered when I was coaching. And so, one of the things that I really love about this work is that it's so dynamic. Um, and I don't do well sitting in an office, even if it's my office, I don't do well just sitting and, and talking to people in that setting. And so also knowing what I know about me and what holds my attention, I like being out in the field, in the, in the arena of play. Um, and then the last thing sort of where the rubber hits the road is being with an athlete on the day of competition and being out there as their support system and to remind them of the things that they're working on and the thing, the skills that they have and the strengths that they have and what their goals are. Um, and that also, that's sort of the joy. And I'm sure you can relate to this, right? Uh, as a coach, game day is sort of what it's all about. Hmm. And so 
as a sports psychologist, although, uh, and you know, by the way, I think what I've, what I'm trying to tell people is I'm a non-clinical sports psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and most people don't understand what, anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's just four it's kind of, random words. It's just words. <laughs> you just get to kind of play with it. It's kind yeah. of fun. Um, and pretty sure someone will come up with a better way to describe what we do in the near yeah. future. Sure. Um, but game day is kind of what it's all about. And when I was coaching, I love that environment. I love the, the lights when they come on. Mm. Uh, and so some of it is also helping the athletes embrace that as well. Right. So do you, do you have a sport that you, if, if you could pick one to do, would it be basketball just because that's kind of the, the one that you had the most passion about early on? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad you're asking this question because to me, well, look, I mean, basketball is the sport that I sort of know the most about, mm. but coaching the mental side of the game has nothing to do with the particular sport that's other right. than that's the sport that that athlete has chosen. And that's the thing that they love to do. Um, because to me, the sport is just the vehicle for learning the tools and skills and lessons. Um, and so I love basketball, but when I, um, my division one team experience was working with a soccer team, a sport that I hadn't played since I was in the fourth grade and didn't, didn't quite frankly enjoy that much. You know, I had this sort of, I had made up my mind that a game that, that is 90 minutes long and the score ends in zero, zero isn't a real sport. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Hmm. Uh, and so I gained a whole new appreciation and sort of love for soccer through the eyes of these athletes who were so passionate about it. Um, so I don't know if I would choose a sport, I guess, you know, everyone has their dream job. Um, and because I'm a skier and because that's sort of part of my identity, I would love to work in the world of ski racing hmm. just for a little while, just to see what it's like to be, you know, on the world cup tour and, and, get to go to all these incredible, beautiful places. And, um, but I also think that the sport doesn't matter as much as what the athlete is able to get out of it. Right. So speaking to that, what is like, um, what's a, what's a, an example, maybe off the top of your head, I'm putting you on the spot a little of, sure. of a transcendent, uh, mental trait that applies to all sports. I mean, like you're saying, in theory, all of them do. Every mental trait can, but um, maybe like two sports that are could not be more different. Well, I don't know, golf and ski racing. I mean, extremely different. Um, they have their similarities, but like how I would struggle to go from a you know let's let's meet for an hour at the range and talk about your the your mental game in relation to golf and now let's go over to the the, the ski clubhouse and and maybe we'll i don't know i don't even i've never skied so um yeah. yeah what what kind of thing could could you as a as a performance coach transcend and talk about to both of those athletes so Golf and ski racing actually do have a lot of similarities, um, but the environments are very different. And so one of the things that I would talk about with both of these hypothetical athletes is dealing with unknowns in the environment. Hmm. Um, both are, both sports are played outside. Uh, both are dependent on weather in different ways. Um, but what are the, and, and this, this applies to all sports, what within your environment and within yourself is under your own control. Um, so in ski racing, there are lots of things that are outside our control, the weather, the snow conditions, uh, the light, 
Is it flat? Is it bright? Is it cloudy? Is there fog? Uh, the pitch of the hill, the way you feel when you wake up in the morning, right? There are all of these things that we can't control. And so one of the things that I would work with both of the, and in golf, right? The weather, the wind, uh, the cut of the grass, the temperature, right? The, the lay of the land, right? All of these, all of these sort of environmental things, the other people that you're competing against, right? All these things we can't control. So that's one of the things that I would work on with both these athletes is focusing on what I can control and letting the rest go. Another thing is, um, well, it was just in my head and it went away. <laughs> that's okay. I interrupted you a little. No, um, that's okay. Yeah, and there's I, lots of things that there's oh, lots of sure. things that that go that that cross over all sports, and that's why I said the sport isn't as important as right. as the the available learning. Yeah, and there's you know you could you could pick off a random character trait like like patience and how important that is, and how easily that could be applied to both and. And that's how you're, you've been able to uh, jump into golf, for instance, a sport that you've, that you've not played and can speak to it. And because it's the one consistent thing across all of these sports is their people that are playing the sports. It's not um, your, so it's, it's always the human mind that you're talking to, uh, not necessarily the golfer or the ski racer or the basketball player, it's, it's still the same, generally the same human mind. Um, that that's what stays consistent across, right? That's exactly right. And one of the things that I try to do is I don't look at them as the golfer or the ski racer or the basketball player. I look at them as the human being. And one of the focuses of positive youth development is to build complete humans um, and to, to teach people how to be well-rounded and, um, and to develop their strengths and sort of be, right, cultivate well-being and sort of be people. Um, and to see themselves that way and to honor themselves that way. And I look at sports the same way. One of, you know, performance, uh, performance work, mental performance work isn't limited to sport. We work with musicians. We work with actors and actresses. We work with anyone in performing arts. We work with people in business. And to me, those fundamental human skills are the same across all arenas. And sport just happens to be our our entry point right so for you it's golf or up to this point it's been golf right uh -huh, maybe uh -huh. that's gonna, maybe that's going to evolve uh -huh. for me it started out as uh as basketball and then it moved to soccer and now it's golf and it's going to be other things down the road and it's it's you know, to go back to your question, like what skills sort of transcend sport? I think they all do because they're all life skills mm. and sport is just how we learn them. It's the way that they make sense. It's how we put them in context. Oh, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I have a kind of a selfish question of, you know, maybe some way I can learn from you is one of the things that's really hard in our profession is tracking improvement and it's it's easy to to say yeah this this player is for sure better just the way you know their outlook on life seems better or their you know maybe their scores are better and i try to shy away from scores being the determining factor of improvement cuz um it's almost like are you are you handling your same bad scores better? But uh, I, I guess my question to you is how do you track something that's so intangible 
um, yeah, how can you track that improvement? Have you, do you have a way that you can do that? It's a really good question. Um, it's actually one of the reasons that um, people are not totally convinced about psychology hmm. because we are dealing in the intangible. We're dealing in the subjective um, and we can't always apply, right? We, we as, as human beings and especially as in sport and other arenas, people who like to measure things, in some ways we're much more comfortable with the way that uh, the so-called harder sciences work because they're very empirical and then it's all about data. Um, most data in psychology is subjective and so it's hard to measure things like emotional intelligence um, there are ways to do it. There are lots of psychological scales that exist. Um, but the way that I do it is I put it back to them. Um, I let them tell me how they feel things are changing and improving. Um, I want them to be self-determined. I want them to have autonomy. I want them to be able to identify where they are improving and where they still need work. Um, so I do a lot of stuff off the top of my head because I feel like those questions never have quite the same answer from coming from different people. Hmm. Um, but what I always try to do is put it back to them. And I try to have a conversation because look, as coaches, they're used to hearing our voice. They're used to us, you know, teaching them the game and giving them advice and correcting them. And the best coaches do it with a lot of compassion and they do it with kindness and they do it, you know, holding their players, their athletes accountable. And a lot of coaches don't do that. Um, but one thing that I think is really lacking is allowing the athlete to use their voice to talk about their experience in the way that makes sense to them. Um, and so in terms of measurement, I think one of the things that, that you can do and one of the things that I've seen work is we, we put it to them and ask them how they would like to measure it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. Like you let them you, define the scale. Yeah. Let them define the scale. One of the things that we do is goal setting, right? That's part of the, the mental skills uh, toolbox. And we try to put things on a scale because one of the things that are that's important in goal achievement is being able to measure your progress and measure your achievement. Even if it's as simple as saying, here's this skill that I have, I would, I'd like to be at an eight and right now I'm at a four. Well, what do eight and four even mean? The, the one to 10 scale is completely arbitrary because 10 for me is not the same as 10 for you. Hmm. But if we're talking about you, my one to 10 scale is completely irrelevant because you're, you're not, you're working on you. So your scale, that, that, you know, that being at a four and wanting to get to an eight is meaningful because it's how you reference your goal. And so if, if you're gonna, you know, even putting a simple scale on it like that, but making it based on their own assessment, can be really powerful because then it gives them a reference and it gives them a way to evaluate, you know, at the beginning of the season, I was at a four and now we're two or three months in and I've really been working this skill and now I'm at a five and a half or a six and I still want to get to an eight by a certain time. Am I on track? If not, do I need to adjust? Am I ahead of schedule? Um, so, I think evaluation is very subjective and it's one of the mistakes that we make as coaches because there are certain things in a sport 
that need to be executed a certain way. But when it comes to human beings, no two people are the same. And so we can't hold, we have to have standards and we write like each program has their, their core values and their, the things that they're trying to accomplish. But within that, there has to be flexibility in terms of evaluating players. Right. That's yeah. You, I couldn't say it better. Um, it's, it is, it, there is a fine line between um, I'm, I'm helping you accomplish your goals and you know, I, I'm, I'm in a constant state of, of learning and trying to be very honest with myself of what I don't know and what I'm bad at. And I, I tend to struggle with, um, you know, helping a player who is really bummed about their results. You know, they're, they, they're literally not shooting as low scores as they want. And, you know, I, I know how that feels and I know like, man, I, you've been in this rut for so long and you just want out of it. And, uh, they have a goal of, I want to be shooting this consistently and I want to play for this college and these hard goals. And, you know, I, I struggle as a coach to say, okay, yes, those are excellent goals, but let's shy away from the hard, um, you know, tangible goals. And let's, let's focus on this process rather than, you know, those goals are there, they're not going anywhere, but let's focus on this process. And, you know, I, I get impatient as a coach and, um, and I try not to show it to the player, but I get impatient. So I wonder how you handle the, you know, the hard tangible goals and how you keep that in relation to the work that you're doing. What I do there is we name the goal. Okay. We get it out there. We make it not a secret that they're trying to achieve a certain score or they're trying to get to a certain school. Um, that kind of stuff is tricky though, because those are very externally sourced. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, going to your dream school that isn't under your control. So it comes with a caveat because first they need to understand that it's a goal, but it may not be totally within their command. Mm -hmm. Um, but we get it out there and then we break it down. So we set the big goal and then we say, okay, but there's all this stuff between here and there that needs to happen. And so what smaller goals do we need to work on? So we put the big goal out there, but that's not what we're focusing on because first we have to do all these other things. So, you know, take the, take the score, right? Golf is one of the most score based sports out there. Um, there are so many numbers involved and so many nuances to it. And so having a target score is a tricky thing because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to, what is going to transpire when you walk on the course, but okay, you have it. And what it is, is it's just a reference. And then we break it way down and we break it down like, okay, when do I want to be shooting this consistently by? Cause you have to put a timeline on it. You have to, you have to give yourself a time frame. and then you say, okay, but so if this time frame is say three months away, well, what do I need to do in the next month? What's my goal for the next month? My intermediate before I get to the big one. Okay. What's so now I have my one month goal. Okay. What's my goal for this week? What do I need to do this week? What am I working on? Okay. What do I need to do today? What can I do today? That's going to help me get to my weekly goal, which will help me get to my monthly goal, which will help me get to my ultimate goal. Hmm. Um, and so, so you, break right, you, sh- you shatter it apart into yeah. like turn the, the giant one, the, the inconceivable one, like 
that's months and months away perhaps and you shatter it apart in into as as little pieces that can be you know you can't eat an elephant and you know how do you eat an elephant you don't do it in one bite right 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 so you you just you break it down yeah and then it takes the pressure off of them to achieve this giant thing because one of the mistakes that we make and one of the ways that we we trap ourselves as athletes is we set our sights on this thing that is so big and it's not that it's impossible it's just that there's so much that has to happen first but we lose sight of the process by focusing on the end result which can sometimes be really daunting like you know if you're a if you're a high school freshman or sophomore and you want to go play big school division 1 golf you know what you need to do more or less in order to get there but that can be really far away and those can be some really big changes that you need to make some of them not in your control you're going to have to develop physically you're going to have to develop cognitively you're going to have to play a ton of golf you're going to have to do all these things some of which happen naturally and some of which you're going to have to work on and if we just spend all our time thinking about you know going to play at the university of whatever we can we actually end up setting ourselves up for frustration because we're not focusing on what's really important which is what do we need to do in the short term to help build towards that goal right we're not just going to end up on the top of the mountain we have to climb hmm. Hmm. that's a, so so that's that right. that's the sort of long answer to that question which is <laughs> I think we have to really break it down. The other thing that I try to do is I try to help athletes identify their strengths, identify what's going right, identify what they can fall back on, the things that they know they do well that can help them lay a foundation for doing this other work. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, you you mentioned someone who's just in a rut. Um, I had an athlete just yesterday tell me that the last tournament he played he spent the whole first nine just not feeling good and not where he wanted to be mentally and not uh just not getting it done and it just didn't feel good and on the back nine he just was like you know what I'm just going to go play golf like this isn't working and he forgot about his quantifiable goals and forgot about trying to execute everything perfectly and he just went and played and he said the the back nine was awesome he said he played well and he had fun and he actually improved his score so i think it sometimes right i mean we have these goals and it's important to think about them but it's also important just to go out and play because we love it and you know we talked about this at the very beginning happy athletes play better There's research out there that supports it. Positive emotional experiences lead to higher performance. And so the best way to cultivate positivity is to just let go. And and let go of the the pressure that we put on ourselves. And of course, right? We can talk about it and it's not that easy. That's one of the things that we work on. Mm-hmm. Um, is how to do that because there are tools and ways to teach ourselves to do that when we need it. But sometimes we just got to go play pickup, you know, or I don't know if there's pickup golf, but you know, <laughs> about basketball, it's like sometimes just go to the playground and just go shoot. Cause you, cause you love it and just go play. And it's something that's big in youth sport. It's a movement in youth sport now, free play right? The idea that we, we give kids back the reins of their sporting experience and we let them dictate the terms of their engagement um, with adult supervision, but sport can be very top down. And with kids, with young athletes, we have to give them back control of their experience so that 
they can go out there and play it because they love it and not because someone is telling them that they have to achieve a particular thing. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that's, that's hence the name of your company, right? Yes. Play free is yeah. a, it's sort of a, it's a play on words, but it also, um, it sort of speaks to my philosophy, which is, I believe we should give kids back control of their sporting experience, give them, make them the drivers and listen to them. Right. We, mm. a lot of the work in sports psychology is based on conversation and relationships. And so like, who am I to tell a kid how, what is fun for them? Mm. You know, there's, lots of there are people out there doing really amazing work and really amazing research. And one of the consistent things that keeps coming back in research on youth sport is that winning as a priority is really, really far down the list. Mm. Um, the things at the top are enjoyment and being in shape and social interaction and social support and learning and becoming skilled and right. Like all of these things that are their life skills. They're not, they're not, you know, it's not, it's not all about the trophy. And we as adults do our kids a huge disservice by making things all about the win. Um, because we're taking power away from them by doing that. There's so many things that go into winning that we don't have any control over. I can go out and, play my absolute best round of golf and still lose. Now my best round of golf, I'm guaranteed to lose because I've never played, but, <laughs> but you get my point, right? It's like, even the things that we're really good at and the things that we spend so much time on and that we're so committed to, we can go out there. And if there's any element of other people or an environment, which there always is, Sometimes all of our preparation and all of our dedication and all of our love and all of our passion don't get us the win. Hmm. And so we can't make that what it's all about because there have to be other things that we can take away from that positive things and enjoyment and love and right. Like the, the fundamental things that we try and teach in sport, hard work and accountability and, teamwork and right. Whatever, whatever the thing is that each athlete needs to learn, it's gotta be about that stuff. Um, and the way that we do that is we ask kids what are important to them. Like what are the things that you're trying to get out of this? And then we craft the environment based on that. And of course we're teaching, we're teaching skills and we're teaching, uh, you know, we as adults, we do have something to bring to the table because we have the ability to do research and we have life experience. And, um, but that self-reflection piece is really important. And if we're going to ask kids to do that, we also have to do that as adults. Um, mm -hmm. and hopefully in some of that self-reflection, we realize how little we know about mm. or, or how much we've forgotten about what it's like to be a kid. Right. And so then we give them back the agency to craft their own experience. And that's what leads to performance. Right. Yeah. Bottom up kind bottom of bottom up. Yeah. Rather than top down. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate you, appreciate your time. You've been very generous. Um, do you kind of have any parting thoughts, questions, comments, anything um, that maybe to speak to, to the listeners of this that maybe could help them short term or anything like that? Yeah, you know, um, I mentioned it. For me, the number one tool or sort of the foundational tool in mental performance is learning how to breathe. Um, and it's something that we, and you know, people are like, well, Duh, of course we breathe every day, like <laughs> I'm alive. So obviously I'm breathing, but to breathe intentionally and to breathe with, uh, with conscience can be really a powerful tool. And 
I say it's foundational because what learning how to take a few deep breaths can do for us is it puts us in a place of calm and a place of neutrality so that we can make the next decision in the right way or in the way that is, that is going to benefit us. So I would say, you know, learn how to find that space because really what performance is about is making the series of decisions that will put you in the best position to succeed, whatever success means to you. Um, and so it all begins with finding that neutral place. Uh, mindfulness really is about uh, objectivity and decision-making. Hmm. And so it can be as simple as just using as your sort of your go-to emotional regulation tool, taking a few deep breaths. It doesn't take any time. It's not going to interfere with your program. Um, so I would say that. And then the other thing is I encourage athletes, coaches, people to think critically about their own experience, um, to think critically about uh, the things that form their values and what those values are. Um, because we're in a time on earth and in this country where things are shaking a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, and there are some ways that the world is changing and needs to change. And I think one of the ways to navigate that, right, to navigate the pressures of our life experience is to really reflect on what is meaningful to us. And sport, like I said, is a way for us to relate to those things, to those values, to those things that are so important. Um, so as coaches and as athletes, and then, you know, fundamentally underneath that as people, I would just, you know, encourage everyone to take a deep breath and think about what's really important to them. And then that leads to the next decision, right? If you're, we have goals as people, right? We talk about it in the context of sport, but you know, I have goals and things that I'm trying to achieve and you have your goals and the things that you're trying to achieve and learn. And so what's the next step? Because we don't have to do it all at once. We're not, we're not, uh, we're not skipping the stairs. We have to climb them one by one. And so what's the next stair? What's the next step? You know, it's like the growth process for kids, for adults, for athletes, for people, is step by step. And so if we can put ourselves in a place of calm and a place where we're able to objectively uh, sort of evaluate where we're at, then we can make the next step. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Well, I, Aaron, I appreciate it. Um, and I know, I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this uh, instead of just listening to me <laughs> ramble on someone that's actually really smart and and knows what they're talking about. So I really appreciate it. No, you ask good questions. So that, that's that's definitely important. And look, you know, I I'm a, I'm available. So if any of your listeners have follow up questions or they want to. Um, you know, they have something that we didn't get to that they're interested in, encourage them to, to reach out. Maybe they'll reach out to you. They can reach out to me. I'm easy to get a hold of in the, in the, the world of the internet. Anyone's easy to find. So yeah, we're out there. Yeah. And I, I would certainly encourage any of my listeners who, who think, oh, Josh, he's, he's a bum. I, I want to go see this Aaron guy. I would absolutely <laughs> encourage that. Anyone that's in this field that is doing work from a, uh, a great perspective like this, like you are, Aaron, I would push anybody to go. Um, so yeah, anyone listening, go talk to Aaron. Don't talk to me. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm grateful. I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to get out there. And, you know, obviously it's, it's a message that is, that I'm passionate about and that I feel is really important. And really though, it's all about people and, 
we're all just sort of doing our best to move forward one step at a time. And so the way that we're going to do it is by talking to each other and by doing what you and I are doing, having conversations and giving people an opportunity to reflect. Aaron Goldman is a mental performance coach, and if you'd like to know more about him, his website is playfreesport.com. And if you'd like more from Foundations Mental Performance, head to foundationsmp.com. I'm Josh Nichols, and thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show.